you should never have to sacrifice your femininity to be a badass. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. Text me what your favorite episode is, how I could improve the podcast, what products would you like to see, but most importantly, I just want to connect with you. Text me at 614-953-6380. Again, that's 614-953-6380. I receive each message directly, and I'm excited to hear from you. Go on, press pause, and save my number, 614-953-6380. Heather Holler is in the driver's seat today. She's a freelance rally and rallycross technician. Most of her work is in the motorsports department of the Dirtfish Rally School. She didn't grow up working on cars. As a matter of fact, she had Barbies and a horse and thought she was going to be a soccer star. Fate had different plans for Heather. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Heather Holler in the hot seat or the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Heather? (laughs) Doing good. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing well. You, You got to do a little bit of traveling lately to help out the folks, which can be a lot of fun. So it sounds like they got a little bit of a project on their hands. Oh, yeah. They have lots of equipment out there that apparently needs help getting running, too. So it's time to dig back into my my diesel knowledge, which I'll be honest, is not very extensive. Hey, it's help. It's an extra set of hands to help, and I'm sure they appreciate it. Now, without even trying, you get into a little bit of your background there. But um, we, we actually connected a while ago in... Life happens sometimes, and there's a, a lot of craziness that happens, and we finally are able to connect here. So thanks for taking the time to sit down yeah. and share your story with the Femcanic community. Yeah, sorry it took so long. <laughs> no worries. I, I Trust me, I understand life happens and throws wild curveballs at us, kind of like the entire year of 2020. Oh, gosh, right. But what I'd like to do is take us back on kind of a journey like I love doing, learning about my guests and sharing your story, but it all starts somewhere. So for Heather Holler, where did it start? What what got you into this? When did the passion start? Uh, so my dad always told me I knew what I wanted to do when it gave me the goosebumps and would maybe even bring a tear to your eye. And so I kind of spent the lot like two or three years out of high school, just kind of spinning my wheels, not really knowing what to do. Um, My boyfriend at the time was a mechanic. He had a fairly newer WRX at the time. And we had a friend introduce us to what was called autocross. So we both went to our first event together. I drove his car and I beat him in his own car, sold my SUV two weeks later and bought my little Subaru. 
That is awesome. So you caught the bug in high school then? Uh, just after, yeah. Just, just after, after high school. Now, when I was chatting with you before, you, you have an interesting story, and that, that's the automotive version, but you started off in high school thinking you had a pretty strong path going down this soccer path, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, I I did get a couple offers for scholarships to play, but I was pretty hell-bent on going to the Bay Area. Um, so I played down there after high school. But my dad's business partner, he is based in Germany. And so I, like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing at this point in my life. And I decided to go over to Germany. I played with a local girls team and I was scouted by someone from the women's Nuremberg team but injuries happened soccer ended and the rest is history <laughs> history as they say now I bring that up for uh, a couple of reasons it's a simple story that well articulates how even the best and well thought out plans don't always go the way that you think they would. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've had any plan that goes the way I want <laughs> <Right>. it to. <laughs> and I imagine when you're in high school, like uh, you lived, breathed, and you know, when, when you're a top athlete, that takes up a lot of your time in high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was year round. Especially if you're going to go to college and play, right? And you have these big plans and what a really cool opportunity to go over to Germany and then to be scouted only to, yeah. you know, the, the, the biggest nightmare <laughs> for an athlete is injuries. An injury. Yep. Right. It's a little devastating. Yeah. It, but what's cool about it is, is how you, you pivot from that. Right. And just about how you stayed open to it. And it's like serendipity happens, you know, just open yourself up to it and it'll come. And that sounds like, how you ended up in the automotive industry. That's, that's how it happened. I had no desire for it whatsoever. I played with Barbies and rode horses, and that was something the boys did. <laughs> right, right. That's, God, that's way cool. So here you are. You, you caught the bug. You actually entered into a race in autocross. And not all listeners may understand exactly what autocross is. Uh, there's there's rallying, there's all these different things. And I think a lot of folks don't realize how many different facets there really are to the skilled trades, automotive and motorsports industry. Can you at a high level explain what motocross is? Uh, so uh, in layman's terms, I guess you would simply put it as parking lot racing. So it's pretty much just a giant open area. We, a lot of the times, um, if we can't find a, a track to go to, um, we'll use like airport parking lots. And so um, it's just a cone course and it's quick, short, tight turns. You don't really ever reach a max speed of over 60 and that's pretty fast for an autocross course. Um, but I don't know. I, I honestly kind of think that it's a pretty good easy thing to get into, especially for young drivers, because it really helps you learn the limits of your cars in a controlled environment. A legal controlled environment. That sounds like a lot safer. <laughs> <laughs> open it up in the wide open road, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Is, is, is mom in the car now? Mom's here. Did you hear the car door? I did. Hi, mom. I don't know if she can hear me. She says hi. 
She says hi. She knows she's supposed to be quiet. So she says, hi. <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> you did good, mom. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. She said you did good. <laughs> oh goodness. Um. So you you got into autocross. How long did you do that? And kind of where did that lead you to? So with my Subaru there, that's that's was the whole point of me buying that car so I could play, and um, I did that honestly off and on for about six or seven years. I never got to really do a full season because I was off doing all kinds of whatever, who knows what, skiing, snowboarding, trying to find some privateer rally teams to go crew for and stuff like that. But um, that's basically kind of the the purpose of my, to build my car. Really just kind of, uh, if, if I'm understanding you right, like DIY, like you're in there and... <laughs> yeah, because... The boyfriend there in high school, we had broken up, and my car was, uh, I, I didn't know I bought the car with a blown motor, because at this point, I didn't even know how to change my oil. And so I, out of necessity, was forced to learn. I learned how to swap a motor, and after six months of having my car, it was back on the road. Let Hold on. I got to pause you for a second there, Heather, because yep. I want to put this in perspective for people. And maybe <laughs> they caught it, maybe they didn't, but just in case... You bought the Subaru, and, and what year of Subaru was it? It is a 2000 2.5 RS. It's a two-door. Okay. It had a blown motor. And yeah. at this point, you had never worked on a car before. Am I understanding that right? I had like a flashlight, <laughs> you know, to help out. It's, <laughs> it's a start. <laughs> So yeah, you, you've you know, observed I, other people working on a car, but you had never worked on a car. Yeah, I correct. I could read the numbers on the wrenches and the sockets, you know, and probably hand them as needed. But that, yeah, that's that. That was pretty <laughs> much the extent of it. And yeah. then literally you ended up swapping the motor by by yourself? Well, like I said, we started with the boyfriend there and mm -hmm. luckily we got it to a pretty good point where I was able and what I learned at that point, I could finish it up and stuff. But I mean, there was a point where I was in the middle of winter up in Tahoe underneath two giant pine trees outside of a shop because I didn't want to take up shop space trying to swap my car, wiring harnesses and everything. Holy mackerel. <laughs> So, uh, it, so I do what you got to do. <laughs> it, it is right. It is. And, yeah. and I, you know, I'm I don't mean to belabor the point here, but it it just goes to show you that anyone can do this with some elbow grease and some determination. I mean, yeah, really. It's I mean, you just got to know how to read some manuals and maybe use Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is way cool. So so you. You swapped the motor in it. Then you started doing some of your own rally cross racing. Um, I didn't actually do any rally cross, but it was autocross. Autocross, yeah. sorry. Autocross. Um, but, but living so close to the desert, there it was not uncommon for us to take our cars out in the desert in the dirt and go rip around. That's for sure. Oh wow, wow! That <laughs> sounds like so much fun. It really was. So, what did you do after that? Here, here, you just kind of dabbled in it. It was kind of like that next phase. What made you want to go to that next level? Um, I just really got a kick out of it. And and like I said, like when I would go to those races, I would get the goosebumps and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I think this is what dad was talking about. So um, I wanted to go to tech school. And the funny thing about that, I had a recruiter come 
the first recruiter I talked to actually tried to talk me out of going to tech school. Like he didn't think for whatever reason that I would be a good candidate. So <laughs> did he ever share with you um, why he thought you wouldn't be a good candidate? Um, I think it was just a little bit of because I didn't have any really. I don't know if you just didn't think that I would have. I had enough interest because I didn't have much of a background and going to that school. I mean, you're going to school eight hours a day for five days a week. And, you know, so you do need the financial help of basically surviving, even though, yes, you can get another job, but only, there's only so many hours in the day. So mom and dad were a little hesitant. They weren't, oh, is she serious about this? So I think that he saw the combination of those and just was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So, but I ended up saying screw it and I went to school and I graduated two years later. And uh, during school, I got an apprenticeship working for a Subaru dealership. So I worked for a Subaru dealership for about seven years. And I want to back up a little bit. What was your school experience like? And and I'm just <sighs> curious. I mean, were there a bunch of females in class? Were you oftentimes, you know, one of two type deal or? So I started out and um, I never had another female in class. There were, honestly, when I started, I'd say maybe about a half a dozen girls. I think there was about 2,000 boys for every one girl at that school. It was a little scary. Wow. Um, wow. By the time I graduated, I think there was at least two or three girls in almost every one of my last classes. So that was kind of cool. Absolutely. How were you received at school? Oh, um, was it ever awkward or weird or... Oh, absolutely. I was terrified. Oh, it was so scary. <laughs> uh, luckily, I knew one person that went to school there. But it, other than that, I mean, I was absolutely terrified. What did you do and how did you work through that? Because it, this, you're not the first person that I've heard that from. And for women who are, th you know, thinking about this as a career path or just a passion path, right, how, what would you tell them and what, how did you work through that? What worked for you? Um, I'm kind of one of those people where once I know what I want, like good luck stopping me, like I just knew I, that's what I had to do. There was literally no other choice. Like I had no other choice. That's what I wanted to do. So I just sucked it up. And honestly, it only took about a couple of weeks just to kind of get used to it and, mm -hmm people warmed up to you pretty quickly and it was all fine after that. Then as you moved through the courses, did you see kind of a transition with the men around you and how you were received when they saw how serious you were? Oh yeah. So I noticed that, you know, there's a lot of kids that they feel obligated to go to college right out of high school. So there were a lot of kids there that really didn't really, they weren't completely passionate about it. And so I noticed that I would Oh, I don't know the answer. Go ask Heather. And and I think it was just, I applied myself maybe a little bit more, giving that impression that I might know more than other kids. So, I mean, by the time I graduated, I was, I mean, I know I got student of the course, I think in about two or three classes. And it's just really about applying yourself, man, really. <laughs> no, makes sense. Keep your eye on the prize, right? So you got the apprenticeship with a Subaru dealership. Mm -hmm. What what was that? What did you do there? You said for seven years you were there? So I was at that specific dealership for about two years. Um, I was with them after I graduated and everything. But I started literally just 
I was put next to the shop foreman and I grabbed work orders just like everybody else did. Um, luckily, while I was in school, I was hourly. So obviously my, my work took a little bit longer than it was supposed to, but I was learning. I was practicing what I was learning in school, which I think is really important. But I was at a very small dealership, which I think was very important because people I felt were more obligated to help each other. So I think I got very lucky. Um, I, I only worked with two other technicians. There were three of us total. Now, did you get placed or did you, were you recruited? How did that work? I had, it was a word of mouth. I had a, a, a friend that I was going to school with. He worked at the dealership next door. And he's like, I, I heard that the super dealership's looking specifically for an apprentice. So once I heard that, I went and applied and basically used my car as a resume and got the job. Oh, that's a great, that is, what, what did that conversation go? When you say you used your car as a resume, how did that go? Well, because I didn't have any actual experience, you know, and, you know, as an apprentice, they're looking for someone who's capable of learning. And I feel that my car was a very good example of that, especially because I swapped the car basically before I went to school. So <laughs> I think that was a very, very big part of why I got the job. That's a brilliant idea. That's the first time that I've ever heard, not that no one's ever done it before, right. but the first time I've ever heard someone actually say that. That's a brilliant idea, Heather. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It, it. When you think about this industry versus like pure business, like mm -hmm. a marketing role or something, right? Right. A lot of that's paper type things. Not literally, but you get what I'm saying. Right. I can't think of a better resume than, hey, here's the car. <laughs> when you <laughs> yeah. think about the industry, I mean, if you're a welder, hey, here's my actual work. Right, yeah. And that speaks volumes. I think that's absolutely brilliant, especially just coming out of school and you don't have a, you know, quote unquote, a lot of experience shown on your resume. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I think is interesting about this that you, you call out is working for a smaller dealership. Mm -hmm. And you, you feel that there's a lot more benefits to that versus working at a larger one. Yeah, it's a bit more of a dog-eat-dog -dog world. By the time I left the dealership industry, I was working in a shop uh, with about 15 or 20 other technicians. Luckily, at that point, I had a good grasp on what I was doing, and I just, if anything, needed help lifting something. But, but I... I I think it was a little bit more of a familial environment in a smaller shop. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great perspective around that. You were there for two years. Yep. Where did you go next? Were you recruited somewhere? Were you um, looking for something different? or? Well, I decided to go back home to Reno. Um, I did work for an independent shop for a little tiny bit, but long story short, the whole shop ended up going under. So I that same day... I went to the Subaru dealership here in Reno and uh, started, I think, the next day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, it had been about three years working in the industry. So I had a decent resume. But yeah, I spent about three years at that dealership until I decided to get the gumption to apply for the Subaru rally team of USA. Talk a little bit about that experience leading up to it. Like you decide one day, hey, I'm going to do this. 
did it just pop into your head or? Well, I had always thought it was cool. I learned about rally naturally because that's pretty much what the Subaru is, is known for in the motorsport world. And I always thought it was really neat. And I just kind of, at this point was trying to find something better, quote unquote, I guess, you know, I had already completed so many dealership training classes and I, I, I just wanted the excitement. I thought it was cool. So I went for it. How does that process work, Heather? I mean, do you just apply online it's or what do you literally just as easy as applying online or finding a t- contact information for a race team and sending them your resume? Like it's literally that easy. I have people all the time asking, well, how do you get into motorsport? How did you get the, that job? And it's like, apply. Like that's all you do. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> because it, it's it's almost like as humans, we tend to overcomplicate things or think that it's incredibly difficult before yeah. we even try. Yeah, you just you just got to go for it. I mean, I guess in all fairness, when I was working for that first dealership, I did email the owner of the business and he actually emailed me back just looking to see what I could do to get my foot in the industry. And basically, he's just like, get experience. So I spent the next five years doing that. And when they emailed me back and said that they would be interested in an interview. I spent the next couple of months, like I said, finding privateer teams to go crew for because um, I wouldn't be able to meet them. They're based in Vermont. I was in Tahoe across the country. So they had a race in Los Angeles and I drove all the way down to LA and had an interview with the human resources guy at 10 o'clock at night in a bar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's outstanding. There's a couple of things I want to call out here. And, and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, people often ask me, Jamie, why do you ask the questions that you ask? Or is there a predetermined set of questions? The answer is no. I don't have any predetermined. It's It's literally you and I kind of sitting down, having a conversation and shooting the shit. Right? Those are the best ones. And I'm genuinely interested in how to do this. And a lot of times when I say this stuff out loud, Heather, mm-hmm. I'm saying it out loud so I can hear it. All right. <laughs> that makes sense where it's <laughs> like, you know what? These are great reminders. And I learned so much and so many different things from all the amazing women in the industry. And, and you're no no different. You're one of the amazing women in the industry, and that's why you're on the show. Thank you. But it, it's it's one of these things where it's, wow, just listening to you, it's like we are our own worst enemies. We get oh, yeah. in our own way. Oh, yeah. And all you literally did was send an email mm-hmm. to ask information. They gave you feedback and an idea of, hey, do this. Get experience. What'd you do? You simply went and got experience. You put in the time. You learned. Then you hit that next point where, what did you do? Rocket science here. You applied online. <laughs> I mean, they had a job position opening. They, I mean, some teams will have an actual category there where you can go on their website and they will have careers. Um, other times, like I said, if they don't, just send them an email. Easy peasy. Wow. So simple. And then you did mention in there how you reached out to local rally teams, private local rally teams. What, just shoot them an email? So with one of the guys that I autocrossed with, he did do rally as well. And so he kind of helped put the word out into the rally community. I 
sent him over a little resume there. And, and so luckily there, there were a couple of people there that brought me on. They paid for my hotel and, and uh, I got to play on some privateer rally cars. <laughs> Just by asking, you're yes. never going to get a yes if you never ask. <laughs> it's, a, it's an absolute no. Even if they say no, like, all right, you're still in the same spot you were before you asked. So who else can I ask? What do you have to lose? Yeah. Right. Or the you next have nothing person. to lose. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got experience doing that. And then you, you, you literally got the um, interview, if you will, with the uh, HR person at a bar mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock at night in L.A. That, that doesn't <laughs> sound terrible. No, it wasn't. No, it was not terrible. <laughs> it was actually a really cool interview. <laughs> um, they said that they were interested in hiring me. But as is with motorsports, you have a yearly budget. They weren't sure what their budget was like. And they did say that it would be a lot easier to bring me on if I lived in Vermont. So three weeks later, my mom and I packed up all my crap and uh, we drove across the country. (laughs) And I moved to Vermont with my dog. (laughs) Well, what kind of dog was it? Is the doggy still alive? No, no. He he left us a couple years ago. Uh, He was a chocolate lab. Oh, yeah, it's okay, though. They're, they're like best friends, man. Oh, man, I got him when I was 18. Yep. Oh, <laughs> family for sure. Oh, yeah. What was your doggy's name? His name was Milton after Milton Hershey of the chocolate bar. Oh, nice. So you and Milton <laughs> packed up and moved clear across the country. Yeah, yep. me and mom Milton packed a two-seater Penske truck and headed out east. That is outstanding. <laughs> So you're out east, and now you are a part of this team. I I, I did um, actually work at the local dealership there for about three months, three or four months. Um, during those months, I harassed uh, <laughs> the Subaru team there, went in for a second interview, and before I even got back from my lunch break, they offered me the job. That is outstanding. <laughs> and, and I noticed you said harass. And just, what did that look like? Uh, so basically the day I showed up, I was like, I'm here. And then I let them go for about two or three weeks, maybe a month. And then I was like, can I, can I come and check out the shop? So they let me come and check out the shop. And then another month later, I'm like, so you're trying to hire me or what? <laughs> and then that is awesome. And I didn't get a response right away. And there was kind of, so there was a little bit of back and forth. And then they finally let me in for the interview. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. So what did you do for them exactly? Uh, So I worked, I thought I was going to do the rally, stage rally program, but they ended up actually putting me in the rally cross program. And I was on the left rear corner of uh, Svetta Isaksen's car. He's... Norwegian or Swedish? Anyways. Um, and then when I was in the shop, not at races, I was working on um, the pro skater there, uh, Bucky Lassick's car. Wow. That is way cool. So what's a season last for? How long is a season? Uh, Rallycross doesn't usually start until about April, plus or minus a month, and then they go until about October. Okay. In a non-COVID season. <laughs> in a, yeah. Pre-COVID and yeah. post-COVID, yeah. we'll call, you know, normal situations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. 
So you were with them for how long? I was with them for a full year. By the end of my time with them, I was actually assigned to build a couple. They're called supercar lights cars. And that is kind of like the farm league for the supercars in Rallycross. Um, so I was assigned to build two brand new cars for a company called Dirtfish. And um, they have a rally school out in Snoqualmie, Washington. Some internal political differences, and I say political, not actual like Democrat, Republican, just the inner workings, personal issues kind of had arise. And I had expressed to Dirtfish just to let them know that I would no longer be crewing for them on and building and reprepping their cars. And that's when I learned about freelance mechanics. I didn't know that there are mechanics that literally are private contractors and they hang out with different teams and go to different kinds of races. And they just, they work at events and in the shop sometimes and they get to work for whoever they want. So I worked for Dirtfish for about four, three or four seasons. And that was like freelance contractor type work is that right yeah so I got to stay at home in Vermont Um, I did have a couple little side jobs you know in between races and stuff just to keep money coming in and um, let's see I think in 2018 my husband and I decided to open up a shop and uh, Dirtfish actually reached out and asked if I would reprep and basically take care of their fleet of cars they had four um, for the season because all the races were on the East coast and they're based on the West coast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it wouldn't, it allowed more time to fix the cars in between events if they stayed on the East coast with us. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm just processing this. So (laughs) I don't want to misinterpret here. And because of political situations that came on, you decided to leave the Subaru as a like full-time type mechanic. Yes. Yes. I and did. then, then you started freelancing at that point. Yep. I had no idea that you could do like freelancing like that. I mean, I just never occurred to me and yeah. there's no reason why you couldn't, but it just never occurred to me. Yeah. So, uh, in the time I've been a freelancer, I've gotten to go to a Baja race in Mexico I did mostly, like I said, just for the dirt fish, but I am currently now freelancing for a drift team, Von Gitten Jr. Uh, Motorsports. So I'm playing with drift cars now. <laughs> just spreading the love around. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I'm curious to get your perspective because you've experienced being what we would refer to as the FTE, a full-time employee. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're now experiencing and you have experienced the contract or freelance work. Can you kind of share some of, from your perspective, some of the pros and cons of both aspects? So, um, I like I mentioned before with the, you know, the issues, the, the some issues that can arise uh, working, you know, full time in a shop. You are not involved as a freelancer, especially if you're limited to just events, um, to a lot of the inner workings and the dramas that happen, which is really nice. Um, You can make your own schedule. You don't have to work until three o'clock in the morning, five days a week, making sure that the cars meet the deadline to get to the event. Uh, So that was really nice. But 
working in a shop full time kind of allows you to get really familiar with the cars more so than you would um, just going to races. Like I mentioned, I'm working with the drift team there. Um, I actually, even though I am a contractor, I do work full time in the shop with them. So I, I do miss it, but being uh, just an event mechanic, you know, my family lives a thousand miles away. So I had a lot of time to be able to go see them and actually get some good quality time in. Whereas working in a shop full time, you're not as free to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I guess some of the logistics then, are there some benefits to like, in essence, you're running your own business, right? You're a business owner. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the tax, the way you get tax on it though, is, is a little scarier. <laughs> so it's kind of sure for the birds. Yeah. So, I mean, you have the potential to make a lot of money, but you also, um, you get, you're more taxed than if, if I was like a, cause I'm technically just, I don't even know if I would be an LLC, but I'm kind of taxed like an LLC or a sole mm-hmm. proprietor. Whereas if I had a business like an S corp, or if I was just straight a W2 employee, it's just a tax part. It's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it can be confusing. Uh, touching base with the accountant, I would strongly recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When my, my accountant lady, she's like, okay, what do you do? I'm like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Sit down. Let's, yeah. let's have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause that's probably not the, the norm for sure. So you've been doing your freelance or contract work now for five years? Yeah, five years, I think. I think as the older you get, the time just kind of disappears. <laughs> it Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, and, and you recently got married. Yep. We got married in September of 19. Sold Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we sold our house in Vermont and then moved down to North Carolina COVID happened. <laughs> Just a lot has happened. So it's, it's a little nuts. I, I unfortunately did lose my job uh, with the drift team because I started working for them when I first moved down there. But ever since things started picking a little bit back up, they gave me a call and I'm hanging out with those boys until I might be moving to Germany again. <laughs> again. And it yeah. comes full circle. Uh, yep. It's, <laughs> it's very ironic with how that works. So I um, was one of those situations where I was laid off and my husband, you know, well, what do you want to do? What are your dreams? What are your goals? And I hadn't really thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Working in the World Rallycross series would be really cool. And Hyundai Motorsport had a position for a car mechanic. I applied. I got a call back. I did two Zoom meetings. And I was offered the position. So the only hurdles, like I said, is just dealing with COVID. I have to get permission from the government to enter. So I really don't know how long it will be until I actually get to get there. Wow. What did you do when you found that out? I cried. I I was working, doing some temp work at a mill with some friends. They knew I needed some work. So I was literally working at a mill in like hard hat clothing with a bunch of these random dudes welding all over the place. And I got the email and I just, I, I cried. (laughs) See your dad's feedback and your dad's great advice is popping back up, right? Gives you goosebumps or makes you cry. (laughs) Yep. There you go. (laughs) You're on the right track, Heather. You're on the right track. I hope so. (laughs) 
So that's kind of where you're at right now, right? Trying to figure that out. And I love your story because there's so many turns to it, right? And it's just, it's a great testament and a great story around you can reinvent yourself multiple times. Absolutely. Yeah. And even though it, there's a, an underlying common theme that you're working on cars, right? Yeah. But there's all these different avenues and paths you can take in how you're just kind of exploring them all. I mean, I've gotten some crazy opportunities. I mean, I've gotten to be on TV a couple times. I was on an overhaul an episode with a Subaru. That was pretty cool. Share with the listeners about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so apparently uh, Overholland was doing a Subaru episode. They didn't really know the direction because, you know, they always do the American Muscle Hot Rods. Um, so they reached out to Dirtfish, and they actually um, gave the production company for Overholland my information. So I, I think I did about three trips out west to go overhaul a, a WRX. And then my last season with Dirtfish, my driver was Brad DeBerti. And him and his dad have a TV show, a couple, um, Twin Turbos and Spooling Up with the DeBerties. And um, so I've got my little cameos in and out their TV show as well. So that was that was pretty cool. And I have had a couple other companies reach out about some TV shows, but based on what the descriptions of these shows, I don't think it was necessarily something I wanted to take on because I am a freelancer. I get my work by word of mouth and I can't afford to maybe have maybe a a bad impression on my abilities. So I respectfully declined. (laughs) And you don't have to go into details or network or anything like that. I guess what was the biggest thing where you're like, "Mm, not for me? Um, a lot of the times, like with these, uh, I mean, you ask almost anyone in the industry, you, you watch these TV shows where they just do the quick flips of the cars just to sell it and make the profit. There's a lot of corners that are cut and in motorsport, you can't do that. Like there's no way. And I just don't want to have any possible misrepresentation of, of, of my, my thoroughness, my, my detail oriented work methods, basically. So they wanted to, if I'm understanding this right make a show out of what you do um i don't know if it was what i do no there was it was more of just like a i would just be a mechanic working in the shop flipping cars with like about five other people and and that's not really what i do so yeah just didn't want to compromise that at all i have to give you the virtual high five because (laughs) there's a lot of people just at the idea of being able to be on tv they'll compromise their values. Yeah, don't do that. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, <laughs> but it happens all the time where they they let a lot of those things slide and they shouldn't, but yeah. there's this very alluring, sexy thing about, hey, I'm on TV, right? Well, and I think I was lucky. I mean, I got my couple 15 minutes of fame, you know, and even before TV, I mean, Apparently it was a big deal with the Subaru team. They, I was in a Subaru documentary that they filmed where I learned I was like the first female for the Subaru rally team. And so that was in the documentary. And then I did photo shoots with Subaru to be in the Subaru gear catalog for one year. So like I, I had my 15 minutes of fame. I had my feel good moments. And so it was okay. It was easier. I think it was easier for me to pass those up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Huh. The, the, the <laughs> for for overhaul and what what was that experience like oh for you? Oh my gosh. That was one of the coolest experiences because it wasn't like I was asked to like, oh, we're looking for a female mechanic for this scene or this set or whatever. It was like we need a mechanic, we need a a specialist. And they reached out to me and like, so, I mean, and then you're working next to Chip Foos and actually Bucky Lassick, whose car I worked on was on that episode too. So like I had a buddy there with me and then meeting Chris Jacobs and Adrian, it was just, it was a really cool moment in my life for sure. Especially because my husband's a, a body guy and he likes to play with metal and he paints cars and he likes to do custom stuff. So Chip Foose was his idol. So when I got to go work with Chip Foose, my husband thought that was just the coolest thing ever. He's <laughs> like, I officially have the coolest wife ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually needed some help um, with some uh, a front end conversion. And I don't do metalworking or body work and stuff like that. And apparently my husband has done this multiple times. So Garrett actually got to... Uh, give some advice to Chip Foose on how to go about doing this project on the phone. So that was pretty cool for him. Was he doing like a happy dance when he hung up? Oh, I'm sure he had to have been. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. And I got to ask the question. I think I know the answer already, but I know people are like, is Chip really as nice as what he seems on TV? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Chip Foose is just like he is on TV. I don't know, I, because I, I might, might be a little bit numb to the celebrities and the superstars, you know, like on lunch breaks, I would just, you know, whatever, keep my distance, let people do their thing. And he took the time to like, I'm Chip. Thanks for coming. Like, you know, like, it, it was just really cool. He, he actually, you know, that he cares and is very passionate about everything he does. Yeah. And, and that shines through. I think uh, a lot of people always hope for that. And then sometimes uh, as viewers or fans, folks get disappointed when they're like, oh, that that's not who they really are. Meet your heroes. Sometimes it's not what you expect. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the, the feedback that I've that has been absolutely consistent around Chip is what an amazing human being he is. Yeah, he really is. Actually, honestly, everyone on set was, so it was really cool. <laughs> I've, I've heard that as well. I've heard that as well. I love how you put how you put it where they weren't looking for a female. They were looking for an expert. I love that. And you were the expert and had nothing to do with gender. Yeah, it was super cool. <laughs> you know, someone asked me, they're like, you know, what, what do you hope for? When they asked me about Femcanic Garage, I said, honestly... I would love the the idea of it's not a male or a female. It's mm-hmm. we're coworkers and we're people working together yeah, doing yeah. something that we both love to do. And it is that's where it starts and stops. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's what was really special about the getting the job with the drift team. It was all over the phone. There was no face-to-face interaction because sometimes I feel like it can be detrimental. Why do you feel that way? I think you know, if you're a girl that works on cars, you have the people that stereotypically think that you, I don't know, I mean, this is going to sound awful, but that you're a lesbian or mm-hmm. that you're supposed to look more like a boy or just, you know, 
you're not yeah. allowed to wear the heels and the makeup. And, and I mean, I actually was asked to start doing a little bit of modeling when I started working on cars because I guess I didn't fall under that category. I don't know. And so yeah. I, I like not having face-to-face interviews the best because there's no physical judgment. Yeah. No, that's a great call out, Heather. And that, that's the genesis behind why I named my company, what I did, Femcanic Garage, because I, I love the idea of loving this quote-unquote boy hobby, right? Even though it's not, it's just you can love this industry regardless of gender. But the automotive industry and the femininity can coexist. That As a female, you can go get greasy and dirty and do all of those things yes. and still dress up and completely embrace your femininity. And I love that about it. You should never have to sacrifice your femininity to be a badass. There's no reason. Ooh, <laughs> my God. I, I, I think, I think that may be the hook. <laughs> that may just be the hook, Heather. Awesome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so you may be going to Germany. That's where you're at today, but you also applied to a couple scholarships. Yes, I decided to go back to school. Um, Charlotte there in North Carolina has a mechanical engineering degree with a focus in motorsport. So I'm going for it. (laughs) You go, girl. Thanks, man. You go on. Beautiful. Well, I tell you what, I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. And what the red line round is, is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head first is the right answer. Are you ready? All right. All right. Number one, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Jesse Combs. I worked at the golf course and I would watch the extreme four by four TV show. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. And if she could do it, why not? (laughs) Absolutely. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Um, YouTube and specifically there's a channel Engineering Explained and he's got some really cool, really stuff and it's mostly motorsport specific. Is that YouTube channel? It's a YouTube channel. Yep. And what was that again? Engineering Explained. Engineering Explained. That sounds interesting. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, that's cool. You should check it out. (laughs) I'm totally going to check it out. And Heather, what excites you most about what you do? Um, I like having to basically fix a car under pressure. I love the adrenaline rush. You have to think on your toes. You have to think clearly. And I honestly think that as part of my job, that's where I excel. I think very well and and level-headed under pressure. Beautiful. And what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. Oh, this is going to sound kind of terrible, but one thing that keeps me motivated is knowing that there are some awful mechanics out there and I'm doing just fine. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. I'm like, if Billy Bob down the street can do it, I can do it. I'm doing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. And then finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades in motorsports industry? You are going to be judged. You will have 
things that will be said to you that will make you feel icky and gross. Put your head down, do your work, and have pride in yourself and be humble about it. The biggest thing is just knowing that you're going to have some some people that are going to give you a, a rough time. And that's just their weakness. It's their insecurities projecting onto you. And don't give into it. You'll be totally fine. Well said, my friend. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. Heather, where and how can people connect with you? The best place, I try to keep my Facebook a little bit more personal. Um, but the best place, honestly, is Instagram. My handle is at MissShift, M-I-S-S underscore shift. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, you can do that too. But uh, Instagram is is pretty much the the number one go-to. Outstanding. Heather, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today. I so appreciate you taking the time to sit down and have a little chat with me. Oh yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. (laughs) Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Awesome, Jamie. Well, uh, have a good night. My name is Heather Huller. I am a freelance motorsport mechanic, and I am a femme mechanic. Madison Alexander is in the driver's seat next. She spent her whole childhood around cars. I guess you could say it is in her blood. She originally wanted to be a mechanic, but one day while in her high school shop class, she wandered over to the auto body side. She never looked back and she was hooked. By her senior year, she placed first in the state of Tennessee in the Skills USA competition. She painted the Chevy Montage, the featured SEMA all female build in 2017. She also painted a 36 Pontiac that earned the prestigious Great Eight designation at the Detroit Autorama Show. Be sure to tune in next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?